Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Well, hello there, everybody. This is Mark. As ever, thank you so much for joining me on Excellence Expected. And before the episode kicks in, I want to wish you guys a very, very happy, healthy and prosperous 2015. This is the last episode before 2015 is upon us. And I wanted to wish you guys out there who have supported me so much all the very, very best. But I must admit, I do have a little bit of an ulterior motive. I also wanted to use the precursor to today's interview with Mr. Alan Wilkinson, just to give you guys a heads up on some of the the little changes that will be happening to Excellence Expected, starting this Thursday, the 1st of January 2015. Now, those eagle-eared listeners, eagle-eared, is that right? (laughs) Those eagle-eared listeners out there will have noticed that over the last few weeks, I've put together some added value episodes called Resources and Reflections. And there was sort of an experiment. I wanted to put something out on a Thursday. And actually, you guys will know it started on on a Wednesday. And you'll notice I changed that to a Thursday. And true enough, it was an experiment. And actually, what I wanted to do was figure out, look, could I deliver extra value every single week for you guys listening out there? And if so, what kind of value would work best? Well, Resources and Reflections has been greatly received. I know you guys, looking at the download numbers, you guys are really enjoying it. And I can see that the interviewees that I speak to every single week really appreciate my insights and obviously the added value that it brings to you guys on top of their own interview. So Resources and Reflections is fantastic. However, I am going to park that up. I'm going to park that up for the near future. Here's the reason. Excellence Expected has attracted a heck of a lot of interest from so many global entrepreneurs. And I'm talking people that you guys really, really want to hear from. And because of that demand, what I've decided to do is publish still two episodes a week, but actually two actionable interviews every single week. So instead of it being Monday, the interview, and Thursday, the reflections, the resources and reflections on that interview, what you guys are going to get from now on is an interview on a Monday and an interview on a Thursday. So you'll get two guests every single week. And the main reason for that is, yes, I want to bring you guys the most content, the highest quality content that I can possibly bring. And the experts that I bring onto the show, they want to be on here so much that things are just getting booked up, guys. So what I don't want to do is interview someone in January and that interview not publish until May or September or October, you know, as crazy as that sounds, that is how far things are booking up. So I've decided to run two interviews per week so that you guys get fresh, timely content. And I'm going to try my best to make sure that all the interviews that I record are published within a month of me recording them. That's my promise to you. And I'm going to deliver upon that every single week. And what I will try and do later on in the year, I'll be honest, I want to try and introduce even more content. I would love to give you resources and reflections on every single episode. I'd like to take this to a more frequent podcast. Hopefully we'll get there so it'll not be just two interviews per week. I'm hoping in the future you get two interviews and you get two lots of resources and reflections. But 
I've got to stay agile. We've got to give you the best we can give you. So I want to give you those two interviews and not really run before we can walk. So only the best content, only the finest interviews. And listen, this is who we've got coming up over the course of January. We are looking at some fantastic interviewees, including Mr. Keith Evans from Cedar, the fantastic, fantastic founder of 4Networking, Mr. Brad Burton. We've got the founder of Mr. Site, B. Hatherley. We've got the 5AM miracle worker himself, Mr. Jeff Sanders. We've got New York Times and Amazon best-selling author, Robert Kelsey. We've got the main man himself, Mr. John Lee Dumas, publishing later in January. We've got the fantastic Greg Taylor, who co-founded marketingpodcasts.com. We've got from Wordstream, Margot de Cunha, and the fantastic, fantastic Julie Broad from Revenue. And you can see, guys, that that is even more content. That is even more value, even more action from some of the world's finest, finest business people. And that's what I want to bring you. So... If you let me, I'm going to bring you two interviews every single week, Monday and Thursday, starting this week. All right, that's my rambling done. You've had five minutes of that. Let's get into the show with Mr. Alan Wilkinson. This week, I have a really, really interesting topic, franchising. It's something that a lot of people know of, but perhaps not that many people actually know its power. What I'm here to talk about today is, is your business franchisable? Can you actually grow your business by turning it into a franchise? And this week, I have a very special guest, Mr. Alan Wilkinson. Welcome, sir. Hi. Now, of course, Alan, you're a, a franchise expert. You've been doing this a long time and we've worked together actually in the past. We're sat in the offices of, of DMSQD as we speak in the studio downstairs. So this is quite familiar territory for, for myself and, and for Alan. And for the listeners out there, I'm aware that obviously franchising may be something new. And before we get into that, let's just talk about yourself, Alan. Where did you come from? What's your business and what's your background? How did you actually move into the world of franchising? <laughs> well, I, I fell into franchising about 18 years ago. Um, I spent the first 10 years of my franchise career uh, with various different franchisors um, in such diverse um, sectors as flooring, as cleaning, um, as chemical distribution, uh, parcel delivery. Um, and then about uh, eight years ago, um, I joined uh, the franchise consultancy. Uh, and for the past eight years, I've been working with small businesses, in fact, small and large businesses who are interested in expanding their business by franchising. That's quite interesting then, because you mentioned the different sectors there. When I think of franchise, and I don't know why, but I always think of things like McDonald's. We talked about McDonald's in the pre-interview chat. And I always think of McDonald's or Krispy Kreme is always the interesting one that comes up. I never would have thought of things like flooring companies and so on. So is it is it truly the case that any business within reason, obviously, we'll get to this later, but theoretically, is any industry open to franchising then? Yeah, I, w I would say so. S subject to the criteria we're going to talk about, um, and any sector any type of business, so long as it fits the criteria. Um, th there's, there's over 900 business format franchises in the UK, uh, most of which you'll never have heard of, most of which trade very profitably, very well, uh, but really under the radar. Uh, a lot of the high street retailers are actually franchised nowadays. 
Well, that's really interesting. I don't think anyone would have known that. I mean, certainly if you're not in the franchise industry, why would you ever know that? Because it's, and again, we'll get to this later. It's about that brand, isn't it? You, you, you trade on the brand that you see on the signage above the shop. So why would you ever question it? That's really interesting. It is, and it's about a local individual with local knowledge in that community um, operating a national brand. Um, so it's the benefit of the big brand, but the, also the benefit of the local person who's interested in his, in his hometown. And on the surface, that seems like the ultimate goal for a business. That sounds like the perfect marrying of corporate and individuality, doesn't it? It feels quite nice when you put it in those terms. It feels quite interesting. It is. It works because you've got the local person who gives his time and effort and gives his all in his own local business. Uh, but if there's any challenges, any issues, you've got the bigger corporation. Um, you've got the experience of the other franchisors in the network, all of which is learned from. Um, so it's a win-win situation. That's really interesting. And it's something that I know a lot of people will be listening to intently. It's, it's something, as I said earlier, that people... They do know about franchising, but perhaps don't actually think of it as an option for their business. Is that something in your experience that you come across quite a lot? Is it a common trait amongst business owners that they don't see that as a growth, um, a potential growth avenue? Or I think that's perhaps the biggest challenge that we face in the UK is a lot of businesses don't know about franchising, um, haven't considered franchising, um, think only very often about the more conventional ways of expanding their business, i.e. let's make an investment, let's wait for that to, to give us a return on that investment, and then let's expand a little bit more. Actually, franchising in a way is growing, uh, growing and expanding on other people's money. If a franchisee pays a franchise fee to come in, that gets the, the franchise and the brand operating in a different town um, and that individual obviously takes the lion's share of the profit but the franchisor takes a slice a percentage or a fixed fee which we'll come on to I'm sure um, in exchange for the use of the brand and the help and the support that they give that business. And it seems to be a win-win if the fit's right for both parties it does seem to be a win-win because you are picking up on the network as you mentioned of existing franchisors or the person that's built the business or the team that has built the previous business up you're tapping into that and it's, as a business, uh, someone that is wanting to become a franchisee, should I say, it becomes quite an interesting option because otherwise you are on your own, aren't you? You know, you could invest X amount of pounds or dollars into setting up your own business, but without that support. Do you find in your experience that the franchisees really buy into that network around them? Is that something that is a real benefit? Yes, I think they do. Um, the, the network is important, um, firstly, because the franchisor um, has outlets in various different towns and cities and indeed uh, countries from an international point of view. Um, but also the franchisees themselves can speak to their peers in, in the next town or the next county. Um, and it's all about a learning experience. If I'm a franchisee in one town and I do something that works, I want to share it with the network so that my colleagues uh, can benefit. Likewise, if I do something that uh, that doesn't work, that falls flat, and I waste uh, some funds on that, I want people to know so that they don't make the same mistake. It's a real value add for everyone then, isn't it? Because it's, it seems very collaborative. You know what it's like when you set up in business. You're always looking over the fence at what other people are doing. And this feels a lot less competitive, um, a lot more networked, and I guess a lot more collaborative because you can start to say, well, listen, guys, I'm in this region and this is really, really working. Have you had success with that? And that knowledge, it becomes shared. It's a shared pot of information that everyone can tap into. So theoretically, I guess the entire franchise operation across wherever countries or whether it's regions or whatever, they all just benefit from that shared knowledge, don't they? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, basically, you've got the system, which is the core way that the business operates. Um, and then if a franchisee or the head office finds something else that's a, just a, a spark of inspiration that thinks, I wonder whether this will work in this business, it's then down to the franchisor to say, actually, yeah, we've tried that before. It worked or it didn't work. So don't do it or, or do do it. And it's then up to the franchisor to say whether that is brought into the system. Ultimately, uh, there's many, many many very established franchisors out there, and it's unlikely that those systems will change. So what you're basically buying into is a, a fully proven, tried and tested system. Um, likewise, there are more um, younger franchises out there um, who might only have a handful of franchisees who are still finding ways of doing things. So they have their core system, um, but they're open to, to new ideas and new ways of doing things. Um, and it's not just new ideas, it's as the market changes. Changes. What we found through the through the last four or five years of recession, very often a franchisor would find a different niche market or a different type of product. And actually, often it was a more expensive product that, that was brought in um, and the cheaper products dropped out. So each, each business um, learns from uh, its network, learns from its system and moves forward. I think that's really valuable. And as a business owner, as I say, it's, it's, it's almost the dream. It's almost the dream to have such a network of people that aren't competition and are so married to the same idea that you are, that they are willing to share that information without any risk to themselves or their own knowledge loss or their own competition. As I say, you know, it's a real interesting concept that really intrigues me and I'm sure it intrigues a lot of people. Um, so the thing that we're here to talk about today then is obviously the listeners out there all very, very busy business owners, all very busy entrepreneurs who are, to be honest, guys like myself and you, Alan, who, who are driven by their own desires and passions. They want to do well in their chosen field. And invariably, that is encompassed by growth or perceived success or, you know, at the end of the day, profitability, isn't it? So for people out there that perhaps don't consider franchising an option or wouldn't have considered franchising an option, I know you've got a real nice overview of, of franchising, which I find really, really interesting, which you call five-star franchising. That's uh, I've got that right, haven't I? Yes, you have. Yes. <laughs> so talk us through five-star franchising because this concept really intrigues me. Okay. I mean, we get asked uh, literally on a, on a weekly, if not a daily basis, can I franchise my business? Um, so we work through five-star franchising as a first off. Um, the first thing is, do you have a recognized brand with a good reputation? And that doesn't necessarily have to be a national brand or even a regional brand. If you have one outlet in your own town and you've, you, you own the trademark and you have a system, a way of doing things, and you've got a good reputation locally, then that's the first tick in the box. Um, the second thing, can your business be easily learnt by somebody with relevant skills? So, do you have to be a brain surgeon to do your, your business? If so, there's not many qualified brain surgeons and it's unlikely to be able to franchise. Um, but if it's something that... Um, a good number of people could do. So somebody with communication skills or sales skills or management ability, and it doesn't necessarily have to be experience in that market. Um, as the franchisor, you will be the expert in your business, in your system, and you will be able to train somebody with relevant skills to do that. Um, so um, can you easily teach somebody in a reasonable period of time? Now that might be three days, it might be three months. 
um, and a, a good franchisor will work with their franchisees on a continual basis, not just the first few weeks or months, but over the first year, the second year, and on a continual rolling basis. Then we look at is the brand, is the business duplicatable? So um, will it work in a number of different locations, either around of the UK or indeed around of the world. Some businesses don't franchise in the UK, but just take their business straight to an international uh, franchise uh, model. Um, so is there something in your business, if for example, you're in Leeds, is there something about the Leeds market that makes it work? Or is there something about you that makes it work? And it wouldn't work if it was outside of Leeds or if it, if it wasn't you that was doing it. Now, usually the answer is no. If it works in Leeds, it'll work in Manchester and it'll work in Birmingham and it'll work anywhere in the UK. Um, sometimes if you have a specific niche product, um, then it might only work in certain certain areas. Then the question is, are there enough of those areas around of the UK or around of the world to duplicate it? And you may have less franchisees. You may have 10 franchisees in the UK instead of 500. Um, but is it duplicatable um, is, is the, uh, the question there. The fourth star of five-star franchising is from a profit element. Um, now, we often find um, that if you duplicate what you do, it will work for a franchisee. If it works for you, it will work for a franchisee. There has, of course, have to be enough profit in your product or service for you as the franchisor to make a rake of, off the top of it. So that might be a, a percentage of turnover. It might be a fixed fee. It might be a markup on product or service. Um, so if, if you're buying widgets for £9 and selling them for £10, it might be that there's not enough profit in it to, to share that between between two, two businesses. If, however, you're buying widgets for a pound and selling them for £10, or it's a service where it's your time or your effort, your expertise, um, then it's quite likely there will be. Um, so is there enough profit in it for both parties um, to make make money? Um, the, the final uh, element in five-star franchising is the business need to ha needs to have a culture of mutual trust and support. Um, so if you want to be very dictatorial with your franchisees and very controlled, then that might not work. Um, you're going to have to trust your franchisee to run a clone of your business. They will have to follow your system and they'll follow it closely. Um, and they'll, be, they'll have signed a franchise agreement, which means that in effect, there's a big stick there to make sure that they follow your system. Um, but you're going to have to trust them in their town to run their version of your system. So it's that mutual uh, trust and support. Um, so that's five-star franchising. I, however, feel that there's almost a sixth star of five-star franchising. Um, once you've got that far and you know that your business is franchisable, then why would somebody want to buy into your business? Now, I call it interdependency factors. So if I'm a prospective franchisee, uh, why would I give you my £20,000 instead of using my £20,000 to set up as, as your competition? Um, so what we look at there is what, either what does your business have or what can we build into your business to make it attractive to say, actually, I want to be part of that and I don't think there's a benefit in setting up as a competition. That might be software. Um, it might be buying power. Um, it might be um, expertise. Uh, that it certainly will be the expertise that you've learnt in the business. You've you've learnt what not to do as as well as what to do. Um, so I would say that interdependency factors is actually almost more important than than, than the first five stars. That concept is fantastic. I love the the five or should we call it six star franchising. Now I think that's really really interesting. That what I really take from that as a business owner and someone that, you know, in the future, 
possibly could look at franchising. What I really take from that is point one. It's so accessible. You know, the, the, the point one of the five-star franchise and about it being a, a well-thought-of local brand, it's so much more at ground level than I would personally have assumed. I would have, I would have considered that perhaps businesses need more perceived brand value than perhaps they do need. You know, like you say, if they are perceived well locally, if they've got a great name locally, they don't have to be on a national scale or an international scale. You may have something that works and you may have enough recognition. I think that's huge. I think if you take nothing else away from this as a listener, that one seed of an idea that actually this might be viable because look, I'm here, I'm still trading, I'm doing well. That's really interesting. Yeah, you don't need a national brand to start with. When the first Golden Arch went up, it was the first Golden Arch. You know, now there's however many thousands of McDonald's around the place. Um, I mean, that, that's a classic example. When people think franchising, they think McDonald's, they think Burger King, they think KFC. Um, actually, there's, there's far more small to medium-sized to large brands out there that are franchised, and people don't really know that, that they are franchised. That accessibility, you know, like you, like you mentioned then and we talked about it earlier, everyone thinks of the McDonald's of the world, the Krispy Kremes, the Subways, the KFCs, and I find the accessibility startling. I, I, that, that's a real big takeaway for me personally, just to see that actually I could start thinking about this if I had a business that I wanted to make into this model. And the second thing that I took from that was the trust, you know, the whole interdependency, the sixth star and also the fifth star around allowing people almost a level of autonomy as long as it fits into the franchise agreement and the overall collective goals of that franchise setup. Allowing someone with local knowledge, regional knowledge, even perhaps niche-specific knowledge that relies on that local knowledge, allowing them to have some autonomy and not, not to beat them with the stick every single day, if you will, I find that really interesting because as a business owner, as an MD, as a CEO or someone that's looking at this model, We've all been there. Giving up control sometimes is really tough and opening your mind to that and actually saying, well, look, I've grown this. I've turned this into the business that it is and now I'm ready to expand via franchising. That has got to be a big mindset shift for people, hasn't it? Yeah, it, ultimately it comes down to the profile of the individual uh, uh, and matching that with the profile of the brand and with the business. Um, if you're talking about perhaps a parcel delivery business uh, where you're a man in a van or a woman in a van, um, then in effect you're almost buying a job, although you're not, you're buying a business, but it's, I have to work in this business in order to turn a profit. Um, therefore, it's, it's an op, what we call an operating franchise. Um, if you're looking at perhaps a retail premises um, with a, a brand, a high street retail brand, um, then you might be looking at a management franchise. So the franchisee might work in the business, but it will have staff working with them. Um, you then might have uh, what we call an investment franchise. So uh, a lot of the uh, the fast food outlets are investment franchises. So a franchisee might own um, three of one brand, two of another brand, another one of a, of a third brand, um, where they invest in the business, but they employ managers into the business. Um, so franchising could be a low investment, um, almost by a job type uh, salary um, situation, or it could be at invest several hundred thousand or even up, up, up to millions, uh, but, but make millions on the back of it. So it's all about the profile of the individual. There will be a franchise out there that will suit you, depending upon what your experience is, what your investment criteria is. Um, and that's, that's, that's one thing to, to look at from a start. Um, if you can afford 
20 grand or 30 grand or 50 grand or, or, or 500,000 pounds, um, there's likely to be a franchise with an investment level there. Um, and ultimately, the return on that investment will, will be linked to the amount of money that you put into it. That's curious, actually. I like the idea of, of um, it's almost, there's a franchise for everyone, if you like. And those three profiles that you mentioned around franchise opportunities, it seems that they would theoretically fit most people overall, you know, is it someone that's wanting to essentially, as you say, buy a job? Is it someone that is wanting to, from a franchisee perspective, is it someone that's wanting to buy a management position or is it someone that's wanting to really use franchising as an investment portfolio and, you know, create four or five different operations all building on bigger brands than themselves? You know, they operate within a region or whatever that may be. I find that really curious because it's, it's again, it's not a facet of franchising that I would have considered. And I'm sure many listeners out there who are perhaps listening via an interest in business, perhaps not business owners already, from their franchisee potential perspective, it's not to say that they need millions or hundreds of thousands. If you've got 15, 20, 50, 75,000 pounds as well, there's always a way to get into that, isn't there? There's something that will fit. And the interesting thing there, Mark, as well, the banks are very supportive of franchising. Um, from their portfolios, it, it's a lower risk investment because the business is already tried and tested. Um, the banks' own figures say 80% of small businesses will fail within the first five years. Um, the uh, statistics that come out of the franchise industry, actually, very interestingly, the last annual survey uh, that was done at the end of 2013, just as we we're coming out of recession, showed that whilst the UK economy had shrunk 2.5% in the last five years, franchising had grown by 20%. Um, so it's a great place to be. The banks like it um, and investors like it. Now, just to pick, pick back up on your point um, about is franchising for everybody, I would say there will be a franchise out there that would suit most people. Um, but that, again, comes down to the profile of the individual. If that individual is just looking for a fast book. If they're if they're lazy, if they expect to get rich tomorrow, then franchising isn't for them. They have to have a good work ethic. Um, they have to want to and be able to work hard. Um, I've recruited franchisees for many, many different brands over the past 18 years. And sometimes you sit in front of somebody who's interested in brand A and you think, not in a million years. You don't have the right profile for this brand, but there might be another brand somewhere that that individual will be suitable for, so long as they have the right work ethic. So realistically then, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that there are ways that we can be married to the franchises, and also from a franchisor perspective, there are ways that we can be married to potential franchisees that will suit our business. You know, there's a much less of a risk there from a franchisee perspective because we're already going through this process with people like yourself to find the right franchise for us. And likewise, if I'm a franchisor and I want to turn my business into a bigger business by creating franchises, I know there are places that I can go to to say, well, listen, this is the kind of person that I need. This is where we need to be in five years. These are the business ethics, the business values, where we've come from. Help me find the right people. That is such a a valuable service to provide for people because I would imagine that it's it's I would imagine it's quite scary. I would imagine the trepidation levels are quite high for someone that has built up their business. It's their baby, you know, they're married to it, they live in it, they love it, and it's grown to a level where they can start thinking about this. But actually bringing someone else in and giving them a level of autonomy, you have to be sure it's the right person, don't you? 
You do. It, it can be very difficult. I, I worked with a client earlier this year who was a perfectionist. Um, and, and what they do, they do exceptionally well. Um, and I knew when I worked with that business and I did the franchise development plans and the feasibility models for them, I knew that the right individual to their level would be few and far between. But actually, I also knew that um, it doesn't have to be to their level because their level is so extremely high. Um, if we if we brought the right candidate in, the right profile of person, worked with them, trained them, um, they might only have 90% uh, of of, of the, the, the ability of the franchisor, but the franchisors, they're working with them. And then, in, in fact, that 90% is better than the whole of the rest of that sector. Uh, so I was very comfortable in launching that as a franchise because I knew that there would be sufficient individuals out there that would do a very good job um, and that the franchisor who did an, a supremely excellent job would be working with them and, 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 and making sure that those businesses succeeded. And that must be so satisfying from everyone's perspective. If you're the franchise or you're, you're stepping into a mentoring role, which, you know, most people in that kind of situation revel in that. They enjoy that. And from a franchisee's perspective, you're actually getting an opportunity to work with someone that is wildly successful, I would assume, and is wildly driven and is only going to enhance your already talented skill set. You know, it's something that it just benefits everyone. And from your perspective, it must be satisfying seeing how that progresses and how that grows and the successes on the back of that. And I would imagine what you guys do is really, really rewarding, actually, because you see so many different things around and you can see what works and what doesn't work. And you can see, well, actually, I was involved in the start of that. You know, that, that must be so rewarding from your perspective. It, it is very much so. Um, uh, and what, what, what we see and what, what we tell um, our clients and, and prospective franchisors, um, when you become a franchisor, you enter a new business sector. You stop being the manager or the owner or the doer of the business that you're doing. And you start being a recruiter, manager, motivator of people. Um, yes, you might do the doing in your own business. You probably put somebody else in to do what you were doing in that business business whilst you become the franchise director, if you like. Um, but you will be working with people, you'll be finding people, you'll be training those people, not just initially, but on an ongoing basis. You'll be mentoring them, you'll be working with them, you'll be supporting them. Um, so the the uh, the fulfillment that you get out of that, that has to come, that, that, that comes in the fifth star of five star franchising culture of mutual support and trust. You have to be that type of individual um, to become a good franchisor. As you said earlier, it's not, you know, we talked about it from a franchisee perspective. It's not a route to a fast book from a franchisor perspective, nor is it a route to rapid expansion or an easy life or early retirement. It's very much around measured business growth, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, in order to launch a franchise, um, typically uh, it will cost you between thirty and £50,000 to get up and running to have your first few franchisees. Um, having said that, uh, once your first franchisees come on board, if they come on board early, um, that, that can start to cover some, some of that cost. So it certainly isn't to get rich quick. Uh, but if you consider, um, if you have a, fr just to keep the figures very simple, if you have a, a, a business that turns over £100,000 and the management 
different services fees that you can take off your franchisees, for example, to keep the figure simple, 10%. So for each franchisee you you, you bring on, you make £10,000 a year. Yes, you're going to spend some of that on supporting them and helping them and training them. Uh, but if you have 10 franchisees in your network, your turnover therefore is 100000 If you have 100, it's, you know, it, it multiplies up accordingly. Um, so it does become a numbers game. Um, and we need to consider how many franchisees the UK or if you're taking international, each individual country can take. Um, but so long as there's sufficient um, uh, potential franchisees, so long as there's su- sufficient capability of launching, be it 10, 20, 30, 50, 500 franchises in the UK, it all comes down to the business models and what works for your individual franchise. And that will be different for each individual business. Certainly not a one size fits all. And I think that is such a, well, it's certainly whet my appetite to the world of franchise. And it, it, you know, it's opened my eyes around what is possible and what can be achieved. And for the listeners out there who are familiar with Excellence Expected, you guys know that we like to deliver actionable tips and takeaways every single episode. And franchising in this episode is no different. So Alan, I know you've been working on three actionable tips and takeaways that people can start to consider when pondering expansion via franchising. So let's just talk about those for a moment. So the three tips. Number one, sir, what do we have? (laughs) Okay. Um, Not so much a tip, I suppose, the first one, but a a reality, if you like. Um, A lot of people think about um, expanding their business conventionally. Um, However, to expand via franchising, actually, you're expanding on other people's money. So if a franchisee buys in, buys a franchise in their town, their money gets it up and running, their money covers the the, the upfront costs. Yes, your franchisee takes the lion's share of the profit, but you'll be making something out of a town that you weren't making uh, from before. Um, So I suppose the tips that I'd like to to take forward, um, do it right, do it properly. Don't play at it. Um, Take the right advice. There's plenty of people uh, like myself out there, like the banks, um, speak to the British franchise. Association certainly take the right advice. Um, in, in in many cases, if a franchise meets five star franchising, it is franchisable. But what's the best way of franchising it? And there might be various different models that you can put into place. Um, so take the right advice. Um, the, the the other thing I would say: do the numbers first. Um, do the business plans, do the feasibility models. Um, what we often find, and I think I've already said it in this uh, in this interview. Um, it could be that it will work for the franchisee. If your turnover is fairly low, 20, 30, 40,000 pounds a year, and you duplicate that with a franchisee, the franchisee, if the profit margins are high, could have a very good business. But if you're taking 10% of 20 grand, it's not a great deal of money. You're not going to be able to recoup your, your investment in franchising the business in the first place. So make sure that the, that the figures work. Base your financial models on what your business has actually done. Um, don't just look at, oh, I started five years ago. Five years ago, I did 100 grand. Therefore, my franchisees now will do 100 grand. Ask yourself, if I started again today, would I do more or less business? Because you will have learned the lessons. You will have wasted all that money on that advert that didn't work or gone down that blind alley. Um, so you should actually be able to answer that question as, yeah, okay, I started, I did 100 grand five years ago. If I started again now, I'd do twice that because I now know what works. And that's why people buy into your franchise. I love that. And just to recap those, I mean, I got, um, I know there were two actionable takeaways from that, but I, I actually really enjoyed the first point that you made around using other people's money. I think that for me, the real key takeaway from that is just open your mind to it. I would, 
I would never have looked at franchising in that light, even though <laughs> at its core fundamental level, that is what it is. It's using other people's money to expand your business. And I think that's so valuable. You know, if you can just open your mind and change your mindset and your thinking to, to actually consider that, I think that's fantastic. And point two around doing it properly, of course, that's such good advice. I think there are so many, especially in the world of the internet and, and you know, and, and, and blogging and even podcasting, there's that much advice out there. So, you know, consult with someone that understands your goals and your business and where you want to be. And tip number three, sage advice as ever, do the numbers. <laughs> do the numbers. We've all spent on that advert that doesn't work, haven't we? What a you know, what a killer that is. I think everyone looks back on the first six months in business and scratches their head and thinks, hang about what what did I do that for? Um so do the numbers first, figure out if it's viable and whether you can actually make solid gains, solid growth off each franchisee and obviously whether they can reap the benefits as well. So really solid advice. Thank you, sir. Just to finish up the episode then, tell people where they can find you online. Okay, we're at www.thefranchisingcentre.com. Thank you so much. Thefranchisingcentre.com. So listeners, head on over there and you'll find a world of information around getting started in franchising. Alan, that is really, really good advice, really valuable. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Listen, guys, as ever, head on over to excellence-expected.com where you will find all of the links that we've discussed in this episode, all of the show notes as ever. And of course, while you're over there, you can sign up to receive a copy of my free ebook, which will teach you how to cut your working hours within 14 days and have more impact every single day. It's a journey that I've been on myself and within that book, you will find tips, tricks and mindsets that I actually implement daily. And believe me, it does work. If you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We would really, really appreciate that. And as ever, until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.